0: Hello and welcome to the Cinephile New Wave. Uh, I am Nick, I'm Duran, and we have a very special guest today. Hi, I'm Ryan. It's good to have you, Ryan. Today we're going to be uh, talking about uh, the Michael Mann 2004 film Collateral, starring Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx. But before we do that,
1: uh, Duran, why don't you take us away with the news? before that ryan do you want to introduce yourself
2: i would love to uh i'm sorry uh, yeah uh, no it's fine <laughs> uh, hi i'm ryan uh i like movies a lot i also like other entertainment art forms video games music what have you uh i have a youtube channel where i do uh kind of reviews kind of not i'm sort of deciding what kind of content i want to make right now um and yeah uh Cinephile for life. Uh, very happy to be here. Yeah. Sorry for cutting
0: you off. I thought just
2: saying I'm Ryan was all you were gonna say. Thanks for but, coming.
1: Um, up. Thanks for coming on.
2: <laughs> I didn't know if you were gonna say and and then introduce it. I don't know. I panicked. <laughs> I <stopped laughs> it's fine. Talking.
0: It's all right. This is we we plan this well ahead of time, folks. All
1: right. Anyway, Duran. The first bit of news. Something I'm very excited for. Um, Netflix is partnering with um, the French Cinematheque to um, fund a restoration of Abel Gantz's Napoleon from 1927. Um, this is like one of the most um, criti- critically acclaimed and sought after silent films. Um, there's, there's been like a few restorations over the years. Um, probably most famously in the 80s, I believe, Coppola did one. And more recently, I think, like, three or four years ago, the BFI did one and, and released a Blu-ray. But the interesting thing about this restoration is that um, it's claiming to be the definitive cut, um, running at seven hours. Whereas, like, previous versions oh. ran, I think, about, like, five and a half or even, like, shorter than that at times.
0: Well, how did How did I know that this was a seven-hour movie? <laughs> how did... <laughs> It just the title radiates the energy of a movie that's going to be way too long. The best but...
1: part about um this film specifically is that I believe that this was only supposed to be like the first in like a five or six part series on Napoleon. <laughs> but um oh as oh you can imagine, <laughs> uh they went over budget in the first one and, and never made the rest of them. <laughs> <laughs> But um, besides the fact that, like, this is really cool that we're getting a new restoration of Napoleon and all its glory, the thing that I'm more excited about is that um, it seems now that Netflix is starting to be, become more legitimized within um, certainly, like, French international cinema and, like, also art circles. Because I know that for a while they were actually looked down upon by um, Cannes, for example, um, because, like, they didn't view... These like Netflix ex- exclusive films to be films since they were only released. Uh, well, they were primarily released like on their online platform. Additionally, I'm really excited for this because Netflix has like a lot of money, obviously, and I want more stuff like this. I want them to do more stuff like this with their money, you know, throwing it at um, you know probably expensive restorations like this one, or salvaging the. Um, the uh the kind of like lost but finally like um finished wells film the other side of the wind um so i'm just i'm just glad that that netflix is throwing their money around and becoming more like entangled with um art film industries all around the world
0: it's because for the past almost year it's the only thing we've really been able to watch <laughs> uh, yeah but yeah. uh sure, yeah that's it's- true it's uh you know sounds uh sounds exciting. I wonder since this is going to be done by Netflix, if this will turn into like, you know, most people will not watch something that's seven hours. So I wonder if they'll turn it into a like mini series just by breaking it up into parts. Because I don't know, I don't know. That just yeah. seems like something Netflix might do.
2: Yeah, kind of like they, how they did the Hateful Eight extended cut.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they they might do that, although. I would think that um, their French partners wouldn't want them to, or at least they would want to release it in its full glory. At least somewhere. Although, like, part of me thinks that um, even as a miniseries, watching a film from 1927, a silent film no no less, wouldn't be very enticing to a lot of Netflix viewers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, um... The cool thing about netflix um and like i mentioned briefly before is that um they've really like branched out and they create content for basically everyone while without making everything they release um like stuff for mass appeal like there's a lot of stuff that they release that are exclusive that are pretty like niche more or less like the other side of the Mm -hmm. wind would be an example of that yeah
0: well, I, th- I think that's basically what they do with all of the data that they collect. Is they just like they figure out what's very, very, very specific content, like this certain group of people would watch. I think that's how they came up with House of Cards. Like the hmm. the UK show was popular, and David Fincher movies were popular. So <laughs> I think they put the two together, and that's why <laughs> that's why that show exists.
1: Hmm. Yeah, um, which is which is great. I mean, like. And I'm sure there's many directors, like Scorsese for sure, would have probably never been able to do The Irishman had it not been for Netflix stepping in. Absolutely. Um, Noah Boombach, too. Um, I think just signed like an exclusive deal with them for like a few years. Um, His last two films were uh, Netflix exclusives. But never forget, Adam Sandler
0: was the first person to sign on for a big Netflix deal. A pioneer. Was he he really (laughs) the first one? I don't. Well, I think he was the first like big one because like his his movies stopped releasing through Sony after he signed the Netflix deal, and <laughs> they just shoveled all of the Adam Sandler yearly movies onto uh, onto Netflix instead. Hmm. Yeah, and I'm I'm it sure that they were persona. they were
1: watched and beloved by millions.
0: Yeah, I um. You know what? Honestly, like yeah, maybe.
1: <laughs> Oh no, I'm not being sarcastic mm-hmm. when I said that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there is millions just... of people that enjoy that kind of content, and good for them.
2: Yeah, yeah. it's nice to keep it out of the theaters. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, it's like, I think know,
1: that's. A... Oh, go ahead. Uh, it's like what um, uh, Scorsese was saying with like theme park riots and Marvel movies like taking up space in the theaters. We should yeah. we should uh, relegate relegate those to, to streaming. <laughs> this i
0: guess those so. movies that look best on the biggest screen possible we should relegate those to streaming i don't wow. know that's uh you know that's the they're, they're spectacle <laughs> movies i don't know i'm just saying like you know they are they are fucking they're the ones who usually are like you know imax experience but yeah. um you know they are they are mm. taking up a little bit too much space
2: mm. um I like the uh the point you brought up about um sort of like the marketing and uh that Netflix is able to like interest to these films that are like more um I guess high highbrow I guess I don't know with like um The Irishman and I forget what the ex- uh what you brought up before but yeah I feel like uh a lot more people would definitely give um this Napoleon film a chance like just because it's like on netflix and if they like make a big deal about it uh who knows and i mean it's better for them if you know people who would watch it go to netflix instead of like the criterion channel or something so
1: yeah that's that's true um i mean netflix has a huge platform obviously so just by releasing it on their platform it'll probably reach like much much more people than Mm -hmm. um you know they would have otherwise and like you said, like, I mean, there's, like, niche streaming services exist, like Criterion Channel or Movie, to name my favorite, too. But um, everyone really has a Netflix subscription. Um, and if you don't have a Netflix subscription, your aunt does, or your, your cousin <laughs> does, or, or your dad does, yeah. right?
2: And you're leeching it from and them. And you're leeching
1: it from them. <laughs> your your ex from, from 15 years ago does, that you haven't talked yeah. to since. <laughs>
2: Yeah, your ex can watch the Napoleon seven hour <laughs> collection. So <laughs> just make sure that um
1: your ex doesn't change her password.
2: Oh shit. <laughs> Keeping it all to <laughs> herself. No more prestige films for you on Netflix. Uh, uh, <laughs> damn it. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's cool. Very excited, yeah. very
1: excited. um uh-huh, I sorry. don't
2: know what the metric is for like success with it where like they would continue to restore more things like this but i mean i hope it uh is reasonable for like what they're expecting the amount of people to tune in is
1: yeah well i
0: think i think getting like prestige pictures and like trying to get into the oscar race of like you know working with coron and uh scorsese i think i think that was really the first step into like some kind of art house chapter for uh netflix
2: Mm -hmm.
1: yeah although for stuff like this I I guess I don't. I there's it's definitely like not um the 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 Oscar angle you know. Um, same with yeah like, no the for side sure but it's, like yeah yeah um but it's more like film preservation, you yeah. know. And this is like something that um I'm like a huge advocate for, that um I feel like, for many decades was like woefully neglected by um by the film industry. So I'm I'm glad they're getting into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: that's a good point. The preservation aspect because like even if not a lot of people tune in at first like the point that's not really the point the point is just like to this film available and i'm pretty sure it being their own now they're not going to like take it off i think
1: yeah yeah for sure um <clears throat> yeah. i i was well, very boy. very happy with uh, the release of the other side of the wind it's an amazing mm-hmm. experience that the against like, became one of my favorite Orson Welles films but moving on
0: well boys i i have I I want you to I want you to place a bet. If oh, no. say an atomic lizard and an oversized monkey were to fight, who do you think would win? The box office. <laughs> Not right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh. But yeah. So the uh, trailer for Godzilla vs. Kong has come out, and um, dude, I think that monkey's gonna kick that lizard's ass. I agree. What do what do you guys think? You Ryan agrees. Durant, I absolutely I,
1: agree. Duran, I need your opinion. If either of them die, it will be a financial disaster for them.
2: <laughs>
1: so none of them <laughs> sure. are going to die.
2: Well, I you see. don't have to kill someone to kick their ass, you know. Touche. You could hold back a little bit. Kong will win, but Godzilla will not die.
0: I gotcha. think there have been there have been some people looked at the trailer and I guess like one of the first shots, people are like, you might be able to see Mechagodzilla in this trailer. So people are Wait, wondering really? if that's a big team up at the end is that there will be Mechagodzilla and both of them will have to fight Mechagodzilla.
2: That sounds kind of cool. I actually like that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Um, I didn't think they would actually I, do
0: that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of exciting if so. And I wonder if like, they're gonna bring in Mothra, because I think Mothra survived the last movie, and I wonder if they're just, you know, you can't just, like, downplay the amount of monsters that are gonna be in your next monster sequel, so I feel like they have to keep, like, even if it's going to focus on Godzilla and Kong, they're gonna pull out a lot of, like, you know, Mothra and Mecha Godzilla are there, and, like, you know, bring in some weird King Kong lore, too, (laughs) while you're at it.
2: I don't know how much weird King Kong lore there is, though. I don't think he has, like, as diverse a franchise. Yeah, I mean, they might do, like, I don't know, like a Baby Kong or something to then do. Baby Kong? I don't know. Oh, I just realized there are dinosaurs on his island, so, yeah, maybe that. Would Um, a Baby Kong just be, like,
1: a normal-sized group, Pretty much.
2: It would probably... Yeah, honestly.
0: Well, I I know that they've had Baby Godzilla, and I... (laughs) Yeah, there's always there's always that possibility um I'm you know I am personally excited to see how this goes it was interesting to see this trailer after not having this type of trailer for so long
2: mm-hmm. yeah that's for sure you know? it, like a big pop- it was blockbuster, it definitely, sort like like
0: yeah it 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 like stood out to me more the style of filmmaking because I've just kind of been watching like mainly artsier stuff, so like seeing a trailer for like this big dumb action movie was like, it was almost a refreshing experience to see it.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> reminder that like, <laughs> yeah, exactly, big back dumb. to reality a bit. Yeah, big dumb,
0: like tentpole movies still exist. Dude, as much as I like to shit on
1: these movies, I, I really
0: miss seeing them in the theater. Yeah. <laughs> What do you guys think of the... Uh, I don't know if we've talked about this, so so I'll ask. Um, what do you think of the, uh, the kind of plan to put all these on HBO Max? Uh, if you guys have any opinions.
2: I personally um, am afraid. I don't... I'm not entirely sure. I've thought of... At first, I was, like, really opposed to it. And I still don't know how opposed to it I am. That's probably going to depend on, like, how... Um, the situation with the world goes, you know? Uh, yeah. But, I don't know. I, f- I feel like for now it's probably fine. Um, I would just like for it to not be the norm after. Yeah,
0: as, this is definitely, like, I'm looking at this as, like, this is fine as a temporary solution just as long as it is a temporary solution.
1: But it will not mm. be a temporary solution. I kind of view it as um inevitability you know it's kind of like um yeah. you have like a, a sick dog right and your oh. dog's like in pain and he's dying right you know he's gonna die in like a few months or whatever what eight? would um what uh wonder brothers decided to do was take a shotgun and shoot the dog in the head.
2: yeah this is a bit violent (laughs) they said they're gonna shoot the dog in the head for the next 12 months and all we can do is watch um but terrible analogies aside um the the
1: reality is the current theater model is it's it's completely unsustainable because of what studios have done to like fuck with them and because of the end of like the paramount consent decrees um I would also say that it's kind of inevitable that these studios will be bought up by um sorry, these theaters will be bought up by um movie studios like Disney, like the the big ones. Which you know. It's terrible, monopolistic, but it was it was probably bound to happen anyway. Um I, I, I don't I, I don't really like have a I, I don't really like either side to this. I think either side is like terrible. Whether um movie theaters w- whether I stick with movie theaters knowing that they're going to die anyway and like keep doing this, like unsustainable business model or have everything move to streaming and kill theaters like this. There's not really like a, like a good outcome either way. So, I mean, at sure. least, at least now that um, we've had this push from WB to um, be have these movies released on streaming services first, at least we can actually like see them, you know, Without like having to go and like risk death, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> and watching them in a movie theater. But I don't I don't know.
0: Yeah, well, yeah.
1: I mean, the other
0: aspect of this is, and it's something I, uh, I, I was kind of talking about with the whole like you know, seeing big movies in IMAX is that when Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four came out, I really think it would have benefited maybe from seeing it on a bigger screen because that movie is a lot of spectacle and a lot of those cracks, I think shown in that movie that maybe wouldn't have, uh, I mean, obviously you can still pick up on all of it, but yeah, I I think you would have gotten more out of it if you were able to see it on like, you know, a giant screen as compared to, you know, sitting in your own home, uh, you know, just, Family crowded around the TV all watching it.
2: So, well, I can confirm that because I did see Wonder Woman in theaters. <laughs> uh, and it was, uh, thankfully very safe. We were the literally the only people in there, um, <laughs> and stuff. And also, we, uh, had COVID like a little bit before. So, like, we were pretty much immune. Uh, I still within that time frame where it was safe. Uh, but yeah, I mean, watching that in the theater, I was certainly appreciative of like the fact that there was big dumb action happening and that was entertaining because the rest of the movie is not great um (laughs) and conversely i just watched uh mulan on disney plus uh like last week and uh i feel like i would have liked that more in a theater and at home it was like kind of just miserable (laughs) watching (laughs) it because i didn't have like the great spectacle and everything i feel like the effects like were a lot worse because it was going straight to Disney Plus. Um, maybe I would have like been more forgiving of that in a theater. So yeah, like these big blockbuster movies, it's great that like you can see it at home. But like I still don't think that like anyone's like, except for like if you're like really wealthy, like anyone's like home uh, movie watching experience is like gonna really make up for that.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. How was uh? What was it? Weird. $30 though Mulan what <laughs> oh no I did not pay for it <laughs> like that I we got uh, my brother asked for a Disney Plus subscription for uh, Christmas and then I yeah. just used that but was it uh, worth would, $5 Ryan oh no it was not in that case no it was not <laughs> worth $5 uh, <laughs> I would not have paid $30 to see that mm-hmm. uh, so yeah it's a good I watched it before the next time they offered that deal came out so i can so I can now know to not do it again,
1: yeah
0: <laughs> yeah i'm I'm myself' I'm wondering how that thirty dollar model is going to work out for them with the competing Warner Brothers model yeah that's that's I mean that may be how you drive more people to theaters even though it's not safe, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but <laughs>
1: i I well, think we it could can't work. know I think it, it could work for like certain movies from them like the really big ones i i would say that if like a if like um a new marvel movie came out on on the service for 30 bucks i think that like that would do really well probably Mm -hmm. Um, yeah Yeah,
2: i think wonder woman like did like pretty darn well whenever it came out for hbo max and stuff
1: yeah well the difference is there is that it was free for the hbo max subscribers
2: no they they canceled oh oh I see what you mean. I was gonna say they canceled the uh, the free trial thing, so you had to like actually sign up to see it. Hmm. But no, they didn't do a thirty dollars yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, cost thing. It's also hard to tell with Mulan though because they didn't release it for thirty dollars on Disney Plus and also in theaters. It was just on Disney Plus. Yeah, so there's no true. like comparison number.
1: Yeah, um, it, was, uh... it is. It is kind of weird though that they decided to be selective on which movies to release for thirty bucks, like. Soul, which I think did very well. well. Um Soul was free. Yeah, it was free. Soul was
2: free um, for no reason. Yeah, and then
1: now like this this other movie, I don't remember what it's called, Nick, is thirty dollars. Raya and the Last Dragon. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, it's That's gonna be thirty dollars? Yeah,
2: it's gonna be yeah. Damn it, I'm gonna have to pay for that. Okay, <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. I can't avoid the animated stuff. I love it. It just it just it's just strange to me, like
1: the ones that they they've chosen to um yeah because
2: i think
0: they they said they like they're refusing to put the marvel movies on like even now black widow like supposedly just is not coming to disney Mm plus
1: which which could be which could be kind of smart actually like uh we were seeing with wonder woman 84 and how like yeah y'all were arguing that that's definitely a marvel theater experience you know Mm
2: -hmm. yeah yeah like if you're not what about these blockbusters (laughs) no like mulan i feel like oh well i mean if you're just not gonna make a blockbuster that's also like a good movie then there's like no point in watching it at home in my opinion like mm-hmm. i mean a lot of people don't really yeah. care like and that's fine but like for me i just i don't think i would have uh been able to tolerate wonder woman as much at home like mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean i think mulan is a like way worse but like <laughs> similar to how that went yeah so yeah yeah
0: I don't, yeah, it was, I, I, think, I think the thinking is that just their live action stuff, or live action like re-adaptations, whatever you want to call them, I think they're just generally less hyped than like Marvel movies or Star Wars movies, so I don't think they would ever put like, you know, those big, big tentpoles. Wait, that's not Disney true. Plus. Like but the Lion King made like
1: billions of dollars. I...
0: Listen, I know, but <laughs> did you know anyone personally that was excited to see The Lion King? Right? No, but I, it's the money that matters, not word of mouth.
2: I feel like if you so. went out into, like, the general crowd and started asking, you would find people who were excited. Because, I mean, it made a billion dollars. Yeah. I feel like that doesn't yeah. come out of nowhere. I and know. These movies I, make, I, like, a I don't
1: shitload that's... of money, man.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I don't have, you know, all the facts on this, but I'm just kind of going off of, like, you know, why, why does this make sense? So yeah mm-hmm.
2: I don't know there is no, there's yeah. no logic to there it. Is,
0: there is no there is no grand explanation it's just you go insane trying to figure it there out there probably is an
1: explanation, but I don't think that we have the degrees uh, nor the credentials to to figure it out
2: yeah. that's true <laughs> my my litmus test is I ask my mom if she either knows what it is or is excited for it, and then I just kind of assign that to the rest of the general public <laughs> so, so, yeah
0: nice. All right, gents.
1: Well, uh, are we uh, ready to talk about uh, Collateral? Sure. Would you like to give a brief summary of Collateral, Ryan, since this was your pick?
2: All right. Yes, Uh, I picked the film this time. Uh, It's my first time coming on. Uh, I picked Collateral, which uh, is a Michael Mann film from 2004. It stars Jamie Foxx, Tom Cruise and a couple other people in like very small roles. It's about a cab driver played by Jamie Foxx who is driving people around one day in LA and then he gets a fare that is uh, Tom Cruise and they start to talk a little bit, start to enjoy one another's company. And Tom Cruise is like, hey, uh, drive me around uh, to these like six places and I'll give you like a bunch of money for this fare. And he's like, all right. Uh, And then it quickly turns out that there are ulterior motives. Tom Cruise uh, is. Uh, not a great person he's out to uh cause a little bit of chaos uh maybe kill some people who knows um and yeah that's basically uh what the movie is about these two guys in the cab and stuff yeah yeah
0: yeah um i what did you think about collateral i deron i'm gonna tell you (laughs) i absolutely (laughs) is it your first time seeing it by the way uh, it is. Yeah, this me too. Was, this was the first time I'd ever seen this movie, but um, I I really liked it. I really liked uh, Tom Cruise as um, uh, playing playing a role that he doesn't usually play, I'll say. Um, mm-hmm. And he just gives an amazing performance. Jamie Foxx gives an amazing performance. And the plot's just kind of intriguing because you don't really... You 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 won't guess where the where the film kind of ends up at the end, and no, mm-hmm. I just really liked it.
1: Yeah, Deron, me too. You think? Um, I really enjoyed it. This is definitely my favorite Michael Mann movie. I've also seen Heat and Manhunter, and I feel like those are kind of not uh, not 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 the greatest. I mean, they're 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 very good. Um, oh, um, I feel like Michael Mann for me but for those who maybe it was, was very much um, a highs and lows director and that, like, his highs are very, very high. His lows are pretty, pretty bad, pretty low. But this film, I think, was definitely his most um, consistent that I've seen. Um, the There is this, like, constant sense of anxiety following you, following you, like, throughout the whole film because, like, like Nick mentioned, you really don't know what's going to happen next. And the plot is constructed so tightly that um, there's always, like, something going on. There's always, like, an immediate threat. But there's also a, um, like, an overarching threat also. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite parts of the movie is um, how we have, like, Mark Ruffalo as this side character who's playing a cop. And um, he's actually the person that links... Um, so uh, Tom Cruise plays a, an assassin in this film. And he's the first person that, that links um, two of his assassination targets as being, like, linked. And um, so he goes to the uh, the police, um, like, the FBI or something, and, uh, like, tells them that, like, these, these like, kills are, are linked. Um, and he's able to figure out the whole thing about the taxicab and connect it to, like, a previous case. But, um... So for the longest time, so like 90, for like around 90 minutes in the movie, um, the point of his character is to provide like an overarching threat to Tom Cruise's character and to provide like the only sense of, um, relief, the only sense of like hope for Jamie Foxx's character because, I mean, the reality is like Jamie Foxx is like a random, like nobody, like a cab driver. He wouldn't really be able to like overtake, um, Tom Cruise. But finally, when um, oh good yeah, but finally when um, the the rest of the police figure things out and start to chase Tom Cruise and Jamie Fox, um, Mark Ruffalo's character finds Jamie Fox, almost brings him to safety, but he immediately gets shot to death by Tom Cruise, which is perfect because like this is an exhaustion of um, like at the, at this point of the film. Mark Ruffell's character kind of became redundant since we already had like the rest of the cop chasing him. So immediately when when he becomes redundant to the plot, he gets killed by Tom Cruise for like kind of like shock value, but also um it, it's like a great sense of uh it's a great sense of like hopelessness, I think, for for, for the audience in Jamie Foxx. So examples yes. like that are, are why I, I really, really like this film and its like tight
2: structure. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that in here where like they keep like ripping out from under you like your expectations and stuff like the uh the part where he's tied up in the cab and he's like calling for help, and then the people who eventually come to help him like start to rob him and like, yeah
0: there's there's and a Tom lot Earth of like has the smoothest fucking kill I've ever seen in my entire right? life afterwards
2: <laughs> apparently his like quick draw like for his gun or whatever is like so good they use it in like they use it to like teach people how to do it. Yeah, I actually
0: told Duran <laughs> that. That was like the only thing I knew about this movie was like how how smooth that kill is in in the alleyway.
2: Yeah, it's an iconic moment. Yeah. Uh, should I go ahead with my thoughts yeah. uh for Yeah, man, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Um so yeah, I chose this because uh this is one of my favorite movies. Uh this is like my third time seeing it. Uh it was like as soon as I saw it it was like immediately my favorite Michael Mann because I just love uh, scripts that are like just very like consistent, like very few characters. Like there's no, there's not really any wasted time. I think this is a really well made script. Uh, And then Michael Mann's style and like the way he brings this movie to life, I think is just makes it so much better as well. Uh, This is like the most stylish movies I've seen, and it's like so. Uh, It's just so cool. Uh, One of my favorite parts of the movie is towards the beginning, whenever they uh, are just, it's just uh, Jamie Foxx and Jada Pinkett Smith in the car, and they're just talking, and there's this jazz song playing, and it's one of my favorite songs, uh, purely because of this movie, and I love (laughs) just the way that whole part plays out, the the very, like, lax nature of it, I think it's, like, a really, uh, it kind of, sets you up for like a more lax experience with the rest of the movie and then that doesn't happen um so i like that transition too um but yeah this is just like it's one of my favorites i love the style i love just like pretty much like every element of it obviously and i thought this was just like you know a perfect pick for people who haven't seen it before
1: oh yeah for sure yeah. um it was, it was there's, there's a lot of
0: great attention to detail in this movie i i noticed the one bit um when he goes up to do the uh, the kill in like, I guess like the penthouse. I guess he killed. It's like the second kill. Mm-hmm. Um, on the TV, there's a report about um, oh, what's that called? Uh, Stockholm syndrome. Stock- Stockholm syndrome.
2: Oh. And it was
0: it's literally talking about like how you can fall in love with your captor. And I just thought that was like a great detail to put, you know, yeah. right there.
2: Uh, I still didn't notice that. And this like, <laughs> I've seen this movie three times. I yeah, there's still stuff I haven't seen in it. Damn.
1: Yeah, there's there's oh. a ton of great details like that. Um, Michael Mann's, like, obsession with the technicality of, like, the fight scenes, too, um, I thought was great. So, like, off the top of my head, what I can remember is when Jamie Foxx tries shooting the glass near the end of the movie, he um he presses the trigger, but it, it doesn't fire because the safety's still on.
2: Yeah, yeah. Because, um, like,
1: that, that's the, he's never, like, shot a gun before. Um, and mm-hmm. earlier in the movie when he... um. Uh, like ties of that police officer and is like holding him by gunpoint you kind of realize that oh like the safety was on the whole time and he probably wouldn't have been able to like harden this cop at all
2: it's pretty funny. yeah it's a great like all the details are like very like attuned to each character and stuff like it all makes sense like how jamie fox wouldn't know to uh do that like there are certain mannerisms tom cruise has whenever he's like chasing down a target uh yeah i really love like all the details and stuff um one of my favorite uh which uh, I guess we're, like, I'm kind of, like, skipping to the end, I guess, like, the end of the movie, um, which we can talk about, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, It's at the very end of the confrontation uh, where they're in the subway car and they're, like, separated by the door and they're shooting at each other. And um, Jamie Foxx is just, like, kind of blindly shooting because he doesn't really know how to use a, you know, use a gun, whatever. He's just kind of, like, doing it until he's, like, out of bullets whatever uh it's like his kind of last stand and then tom cruise is shooting also uh, at the door and tom cruise doesn't get a single shot in on jamie fox because he's doing his thing where he shoots two in the chest and one in the head and the door in the middle is metal and it's blocking those bullets and then because jamie fox is just kind of like shooting everywhere he's shooting through the glass on either side of that middle part and it lands and hits tom cruise and he's able to kill him that way and it's like that's, like, such a cool, like, small detail that, like... Yeah,
1: I I didn't even realize
2: that that was what he did. Yeah, but either. yeah, that's really cool. Oh, you didn't realize that? Oh, no. man, yeah. It's so good. It's so good, man. <laughs> it's also cool because, like, uh, I saw someone point out that, like, Tom Cruise keeps bringing up, like, improvisation and stuff throughout the movie. And he keeps, like, lambasting uh, Jamie Foxx because, like, he's not doing that. He's, you know, very stickler ish i guess mm. um and then at the very end tom cruise dies because he's doing like the same routine that he always does and jamie fox is just kind of like doing whatever acting on instinct uh to kill him hmm. so hmm.
1: Yeah, interesting. yeah it's like a clash of ideals there
2: mm-hmm. and it like yeah exactly it's ironic because it like comes back to screw over tom cruise
1: yeah yeah
0: i love the i love the scene near the end where <laughs> they're both like in the cab just just basically going back and forth psychoanalyzing each other just like all right all right well i can point this out about you but but then tom cruise you know like points something about a, about him how like you know how his life is going and how like you know nothing ever works out but he's like hey wait a second
1: it's funny how there's like these little talking. like um thought to be unnecessary character details like put into the script yeah um like certainly like jerry fox's relationship to his mom or um Tom Cruise's like bad childhood for example um and how like it's it doesn't make the mistake of going too much into those things because like it would distract from the pretty like simple and well-structured plot but it's just enough like um j- just 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 enough like nuance to make the characters really interesting mm-hmm, um, yeah yeah and for you to care for them i yeah, think in a word script
0: yeah, I think in a worse version of the
2: script, I think we would have focused on his mother a lot more.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that that kind of a trope.
2: Yeah, she only comes back, like, well, in conversation whenever they're psychoanalyzing each other and pointing out the shit that they're doing, uh, where he points out that he's been lying to his mom about being successful and achieving his dreams and stuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this, again, this script is, like, super efficient and i think just like really smart in how it handles like how it balances like those characters and like how they want to keep the movie moving forward and exciting and stuff
1: yeah um speaking about the characters something that i wanted to bring up um was i talked to ryan a little bit about this before the podcast but how um all the characters especially like tom cruise's character um feels like they need to uh achieve like uh, uh, t- to be like this kind of stereotype of a person um despite like their own like will so mm-hmm. um we also talked about before how there seems to be kind of like these strange like shifts between um oh what, what like each character like represents and like their actions like who's like the hunter and who's the hunted that kind of thing um and how like you don't you don't really like understand like Tom Cruise's personal motivations like at all um and at least like that aspect to, to me made me suggest that like he's maybe maybe like his own um like will is different from what he's actually doing and and like mm-hmm. it's kind of weird and meta and 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 because it's like this film was definitely a callback to, like, um, French noir films and, like, um, American, like, action films, like the, the classics, you know, from, like, the 50s and the 60s. So, and in those, like, there, there are elements of this where you become aware of the roles each character is playing. But in this, I, I felt, like, hyper aware of, um, like, the narrative fictional role each character was playing. Because it seems like they were aware of it, too.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm.
2: Yeah, kind of like... um, I I watched this recently, so it's on my mind, like, in Funny Games, how they're, like, sort of aware of their role as, like, a villain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what I got from Tom Cruise as well. Like, he's very much an agent of, like... And this also kind of goes with how we were describing, like, the ways that the film sort of, like, you know, takes the rug out from under you, like, the ways that he just, like rips out any little bit of hope like he's always there whenever Jamie Foxx might have like a way out or something Mm -hmm. uh he's very (laughs) he's very present as that sort of uh narrative device and his personality just kind of like goes along with it in the yeah yeah
1: um and speaking of his personality um I think like even Jamie Foxx brings up the fact that like it's strange that Tom Cruise hasn't killed him yet like it doesn't Mm -hmm. really make sense but, um, this shows that, like, I mean, these people aren't completely, like, logical individuals, even though, like, Tom Cruise claims to be. Um, so, like, there there is, like, the strange, like, bond that... Like, like Jamie Foxx might be, like, Tom Cruise's only friend, really. Yeah. By the end of the film. Um,
2: friend, quote-unquote.
1: Yeah. It, like, it, it, is, it is, like, the strange relationship that kind of transgresses a traditional, like, um prisoner captive relationship or like protagonist antagonist one Mm-hmm. yeah
2: yeah because tom it, cruise is also like he's very like principled um uh, there's a lot of scenes where he like comes to jamie fox's defense where like uh whenever the cab driver or the cab uh whatever his boss is is like yeah telling that he's gonna have to pay for the accident and stuff and he tells them what to say and then he comes on the like radio himself to like tell him off and stuff yeah yeah there's a lot of like i really like how the characters are written here because they're all like they're not necessarily good people but they're like they're principled they have they know to do the right thing in certain situations uh sort of the conflict with jamie fox is like not feeling like he's able to because he's like so shy and nervous and stuff um but yeah, like towards the beginning, uh, whenever he gives. Uh, ah, God, I forgot her name, but he when he gives her the pep talk in the car and stuff like that's just he didn't have to do that. He just does it because he is motivated to because he's that type of person. And uh, that's a similar moment to, in my opinion, whenever Tom Cruise berates the uh, cab boss. Like it's just they're doing a good thing for another person. Yeah, and, uh, you really don't have to.
1: Moments like that almost make me feel like this film is a like a weird warped version of like a buddy cop movie, but yeah. <laughs> The the only difference mm-hmm. is that like, the 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 um, e- each of the buddies is like one of them's a protagonist, one of them's an antagonist. It's Just like a weird kind of relationship.
2: Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I I, yeah, I super enjoy the uh, the sort of relationship that they have because like he saves him in the club at that one point. So like clearly he is keeping him around for a reason and I really don't think it's just that he's a good driver at that point anymore. Yeah. I think they have definitely
1: been through some things together and there is now a weird bond formed between them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean by by, by near, like near near that part of the movie there really is no logical reason to keep him there.
0: Yeah. yeah
2: they set it up too earlier in the film when uh mark ruffalo talks about the cab driver who supposedly went crazy and like killed people and then he says like he alludes to essentially there was probably not someone there was probably someone else in the cab uh doing that who had killed the cab driver mm-hmm. um and then you're like oh shit tom Cruise is gonna do that to him and you can't really tell if he's like gonna kill him or not because he even brings up later like if we get out of that girl and stuff yeah um, and he seems like
1: genuine you know
2: he really does, yeah. It's um, so hard to like get a read on him.
1: And considering all like the bullshit that Jamie Foxx pulls on him through the movie, you'd think that like if he was gonna kill him, he'd be dead by now.
2: Yeah, yeah. Did you think? Uh, did uh, well, so like, I don't remember how I felt like uh, about the scene the first time I saw it because it's been years. Uh, what did you think was gonna happen whenever Jamie Foxx threw the briefcase?
0: Oh, dude, I thought he was dead. Dude. <laughs>
2: <Right>? <laughs>
0: when
1: when you
2: see Tom Cruise sprinting after you, you you are you are on the verge of death. yeah that's probably another like uh instance of like a not logical reason to keep him around but like he i mean it is kind of logical because he uses him to get the uh info back yeah
1: but after that like he just love liability yeah
2: Mm -hmm. um by the way did you realize that was uh javier bardem in that scene only the first few times i watched this movie i did not know that
1: only because nick pointed it out and i like i squinted i'm like oh yeah that is javier bardem
2: I, I I knew he was in the cast
0: list and I was like just waiting for him to show up and then I was like, oh my god, wait, is that him? Because yeah. he looks so different than like any other role that he takes. But like you the, can the, still you,
1: tell that it's him. Isn't it that the yee yee yes haircut from No Country for Old Man. <laughs>
2: Exactly. <Yeah>. Ugh. <laughs> oh, that's mm. a marvelous haircut. <laughs> Should I have that in everything. <laughs> Imagine that in James Bond.
0: <laughs> oh my god.
1: Of actually
2: the scariest villain
1: i know um yeah i'll talk a little bit about the the style and like the cinematography because that was mm-hmm. really weird um the, the, this film was like shot on like a bunch of like different types of like cameras and lenses which of course you know is standard but it's very noticeable in this movie um like i remember there's like some shots of the interior of the cab which um have like that kind of like digital tracing effect where um like the frame seems to kind of like blend together you know like Mm -hmm. that kind of like weird effect that like early like digital cameras had a lot um
2: yeah the the motion is like really smooth like oddly smooth
1: yeah yeah and um but also at the same time like there's a lot of parts of the movie where it clearly cuts between um uh like lenses that are using different aspect ratios um and it even like like kind of like rapidly too so you have like the interior of a cab which is like um like full screen and then you have you, you cut and then you have like a wide screen suddenly and so you can like notice like the black bars and you cut back to the full screen it, it's 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 so strange um i mean i i assume like the aspect ratio of meddling wasn't intentional but it was a uh like a side effect of wanting to um shoot on like different cameras
2: yeah but i think i, I think, have to uh, oh, sorry. I have, uh just really quick yeah. uh i have to say like we talked about this before the version i watched i don't think i saw any aspect ratio changes and i usually notice that so maybe there's like a version hmm. uh, there's like multiple versions of this out there just wanted to point yeah
0: that out. i definitely i definitely thought that maybe it might just be a version issue because um yeah i don't
2: know i mean whether it's a version issue or not there's like clearly like different cameras being used and stuff like a lot of time it changes oh definitely
0: yeah even without you know the aspect ratio changes you can definitely tell that you know especially some of those helicopter shots weren't
1: super high def yeah those those looks really weird like they looked like bad (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. The the movie starts, and it looks like it's in 480p, like, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of the grains are just, like, so big throughout the entire movie. But, I don't know, I kind of like it, especially, like, during the, the city shots and stuff.
1: Yeah. I don't think it was a budget issue either, because, either, I mean, this had, like, a a $64 million budget, $65 million budget. So, like, back then, like, God, that damn. was a good amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just because, like, Michael Mann likes these this like weird digital aesthetic um this very like 2000s aesthetic and don't get me wrong this movie is definitely a very much like an early 2000s movie but i think he plays enough with this aesthetic for it to um you know transcend um dating it just to then. Mm-hmm. definitely
2: yeah definitely uh, in my opinion it's like i mean it definitely does like look very digital and grainy and stuff but just I think it really works. I think there's, like, a lot, uh, especially with how, like, the camera changes uh, a lot of the time and sort of the visual style, too. I think it's, like, one of the most, like, engaging films visually and stuff. Um, There's a lot of, like, shots that stick out in my mind. Uh, One of them, like, probably, like, aside from, like, city shots, like I said, uh, towards the end, whenever they're, uh, he's chasing them in the subway, and he stops and he doesn't know which train they're on, and the camera, like, follows his like head like as he's looking between them Mm. i thought that was like really cool like rhythmically and stuff yeah yeah Um, yeah i really like how it was shot one of one of
0: my favorite shots is um after after he shoots tom cruise in the ear there's this one shot of him where he's just like rising up into the frame and it's like the scariest looking tom cruise you'll ever see in your life (laughs) oh yeah so good it really is I just, I love his look by the end of the film with his shot ear. The, the, the punished Cruz look.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: good. So good.
2: And I mean, also his like, just design as a character is great. It's like super iconic. The, the white hair and like the, the gray suit and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really not what you, at least not what I would expect from Tom Cruise, like ever. Bro, this man like, yeah, I am, is like. He looks kind of the same in every movie. This
1: man's like <laughs> almost
2: 60 and he still has
1: like a full head of hair. So. I know.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's probably oh, probably not real here at this point but we won't get into that. We love you Tom Cruise. Don't <laughs> please don't come after us. Yeah. Scientology is a legitimate mis- religion.
2: Him. He's like, <laughs> yeah, he's bathing in the blood of virgins and stuff. <laughs> oh god, <laughs> of fuck. We're going to die. This is, oh, this no, is
1: the last episode of the podcast. <laughs> cut it out. Cut out. Scientology <laughs> cut I out support here. Scientology. Everything they do is legitimate. Battlefield Earth, I is a great no
2: <laughs> Battlefield Earth is a great book. Battlefield <laughs> Earth uh, is a great uh, book. What do you guys think of the soundtrack in here?
1: Um, it. I. I think. I think that. Um, had it been employed by a lesser director, in like worse scenes, it wouldn't have worked. Cause like Zack Snyder. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's super campy. You know it, it's like mm-hmm. but it kind of works you know because like the characters too are like a little bit campy a little bit off there there is like this like general sense of weirdness in this film i can't exactly mm-hmm. put my finger on it i think it's like michael Manniness, but um i don't know he just kind of like makes it work here i think i think it um it clicks together like in that in that scene um where where we where we see yeah like the wolf scene yeah like that, I think would have not worked at all had it been done by a lesser director, and um, without like the um, all the dedication to uh, character development.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I was I was struck by that moment. You, I I kind of said something dumb in that moment just because I was like, it's so weird that they're like finally u- using music in this way right now, and it's just it, it it's a beautiful moment. Dare I say it's 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 very strange that that moment with the wolf it's like a breather within all of this and it's uh you know it catches your attention because it's a breather in such an action-packed film
2: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i was i was talking uh to duran about it it's like the uh it it's kind of like the only time that you get like a well in my opinion it's like the only time that you get like a real sense of like vulnerability from tom cruise because like I feel like him looking at that uh, him looking at the coyote, it's like it's like he just like stops and like sort of like sees himself like for the first time. And it's like I feel like a real moment of like self-reflection where like he, you know, nothing's like said and stuff. Um, And then they like they also like cut to Jamie Foxx and like he doesn't have like a. I feel like it's he's not like as struck by it. So like it's clearly more like a moment for Tom Cruise. And yeah, just like that. It like like even like three watches later it like still like hits me every time and it's really weird because the song like is that's playing over it like is not the type of like thing I would listen to um kind of sounds a little bit like Nickelback (laughs) like that's like all I could think of um so yeah that was weird and like maybe it would have like been even better if like the song wasn't there but like that moment like still like manages like affect me despite that
1: it's like, these little
2: weird creative moments like that, I think,
1: that make this film, like, shine beyond the rest.
0: Definitely.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, like you kind of say, it's, you know, Michael Mann's attention to detail with, like, kind of everything that, you know, really kind of, because of all those little details, it's, you know, it steps up above the rest because there's that much more to get out of it. Yeah.
1: So meticulous.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah it it really makes me like reconsider like how i feel about the rest of his stuff um because i've only seen i've seen heat i've seen ali i've seen like 10 minutes of the insider and i turned it off that's another thing um i usually don't like uh like handheld digital uh cinematography for like the entire movie um like born identity like the born trilogy um it's obviously famous for that in like the, uh, the combat scenes and stuff, but like, it's also in like conversation scenes and stuff like very like saturated. Everything's like blue. Um, it's digital, very grainy and everything's handheld, like over the shoulder stuff. And I really hate that. Like really keeps me from enjoying those films. And there's a lot of stuff in the two thousands like that, but, and there's like, it's like that in like other films of his, at least that's what I remember from the little bit I saw from the insider to where I was like, okay, I'm not watching this. Um, which I will come back to it eventually. But yeah, that's in here too. But I don't know. There's just something like so compelling about like the, the story, the characters, the acting, like to where it doesn't bother me. I don't know. It's like one of those like exceptions to Hmm. the rule. uh, Yeah. For me, at least. I want to go on a tangent and defend
0: the Bourne movies now, but. uh, (laughs) Oh, sorry.
1: sorry. (laughs) I wonder what you would think of Inland Empire.
2: I, do, does it do that a lot?
1: The entire movie is shot
2: on, like, 2006 camcorder. But, like, is it handheld? Because that, like, oh, also, yeah. like, really... Okay, goddamn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I have to see it. I trust David Lynch to, like, do better than how I would expect this to turn out, uh, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, it definitely,
0: like, adds to the mood. And I think in this, it there are moments where it adds to the mood.
1: Yeah, I think I think like, it with, with yeah, with with any format, it's just how it's used. Um, yeah. Like, I, there's always this argument about um, like CGI versus practical. Whenever it like, whenever it works and whatever it makes sense for an artistic like purpose, use CG or use practical. It doesn't matter which one. There's no like better medium than the other.
2: Uh, I. I would contest that. I mean, like, well, I I know that you're like, well, obviously, like, whenever it makes sense, like, I I feel like I'm, I I'm also sort of like, you know, whenever it makes sense and stuff. I usually like really appreciate like practical stuff, like whenever it's. You well, don't know. get me wrong.
1: I I generally prefer practical too. I just think that um yeah, it sells it more to me than CG because I, I usually detect like, the um, the fakeness of CG like much more easily. But um, it's but also
0: in like modern film. I think CGI happens a lot more than we, you know, even realize.
1: Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, and like also it offers like so much to the to the, to the director where like they wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Um, it's yeah. really like a useful tool that is often misused.
2: Yeah, I feel like I just I maybe I just notice like more places where practical could be used, but CG is being used. And then like, I don't find as many moments where practical is uh, being used and CG should have been used. I don't know. Um, at least not in like modern films. So I sort of don't see like the use of practical effects as like a problem because I feel like whenever they are done, it's like very well done and very appropriate. Uh, but I feel like, We see a lot more like overuse of like CGI to the point where it's like detrimental. But like, I don't know. That's just my (laughs) two cents on it. I guess. Yeah, Yeah. uh, I I can I can agree with you
0: there.
2: It's definitely like
0: you know a kind of battle where it's like you know an artist should use all of his tools, but like if you're only using the one tool of CGI when you could be using practical, where it's like when it really becomes a problem. But um.
2: I yeah. Yeah too there's obvious like uh wolf of wall street how that how they use like cg so much to like create backgrounds and stuff and like entire scenes that don't even like appear to be uh computer generated so yeah i mean it certainly has like its uses that like do not bother me at all like it's a it's a weird and like wide topic i guess yeah
0: uh was was there any like real use of cg in this movie now that we're having this conversation I don't um, I don't even know if there was
2: the one thing that i know was cg just through uh reading through the trivia was the city through the uh the subway at the end of the movie um, oh interesting yeah because man like specifically wanted like the it to look a certain way um at the end and like i don't think I mean, I didn't notice that at all. And I didn't notice any CG through the rest of the movie.
1: Uh, yeah. Nick, I think you noticed that. Remember when they were sitting in the... Oh, in yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, that's more of a green screen issue than it is, like, CGI. But, um, I don't know. Or what I typically think of CGI. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, there there is... You can kind of tell a little bit, unfortunately, at the end that it is, uh, you know, a uh, green screen if you are looking. But, like, I, I get why he would... Implement it there to, you know, get what he wanted.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, shooting on a subway and like outside is like probably like incredibly hard to like keep everything. Oh yeah, yeah, consistent and stuff. Like if you watch uh, Before Sunrise at the beginning of the movie when they're talking on the train, like the backgrounds are like not consistent at all, and like it, mm-hmm. it kind of. First time I watched it, I kind of like took me. I was like, whoa, okay. um So I like, I get it. I did not notice that at all. <laughs> oh,
1: okay. <laughs>
0: yeah man it just matters if you notice it
1: mm-hmm. true um anything else we want to touch upon on collateral that we didn't get to
0: um let me look at my notes let me see if i have any any random thoughts that i just wanted to set up uh no i covered all of them never
1: mind cool all right well if we're ready to move on um let's get to the final segment where we talk about what we've been watching reading listening to or playing Ryan, what have you been watching, <laughs> reading, uh, listening to, or playing?
2: Thank you. Uh, I've been doing a lot of each. Uh, enjoying my time. Uh, I've been watching uh, a lot of movies recently, trying to like catch up on 2020 stuff that I missed because I didn't see everything. Um, I watched... Uh, let me look at my diary real quick on Letterboxd. Uh Yeah, I watched... Uh, the gentleman another round ma rainy mulan one night miami like i'm trying to you know really get caught up on stuff that just came out because i was dumb and i missed it um in terms of stuff that like really like caught my interest Mm -hmm. i i i really liked uh pieces of a woman which i watched earlier this month uh the opening of that movie is fantastic uh like the first 30 minutes it's like I mean, I don't really I, – I think, like, everyone who watches the movie, like, they disagree. Like, you can – everyone kind of, like, disagrees on, like, how they feel about the rest of it. Like, it's kind of, like, mixed, uh, honestly. But, like, everyone is, like – the first 30 minutes of that are incredible. So, like, I would recommend it just for that. Um. Another round I also watched. Uh, really good. I, I was kind of, like, lost – in. I kind of, like, lost interest towards uh, – the second half but the ending of that movie is fantastic um recommend it for that like yeah i've youtubed it several times since and like it's just incredible i mean um, yeah, i mean, need to check
1: that one out for a bit now yeah you I'm really just, need i'm to. so behind on on 2020 movies i have like this this whole list I, I have like at least like probably five to ten movies that are on streaming services that i have that i can just go out <laughs> and watch whenever i want to but i've just been like pushing it off
2: yeah i feel that Although another round you have to rent or uh, acquire through other means, so... <laughs> I don't know what you're talking uh, about.
1: Yeah,
2: <laughs> uh, no, it, of course not. Um, I also, the uh, the thing that, like, has caught my, like, interest the most out of what I've seen recently, I watched uh, the original Funny Games from Michael Haneke, and it is so... <laughs> fucking scary. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, like, a great thriller. Um... Uh, I really enjoyed, like, all, like, the little tricks and stuff that it pulls, but it's also just, like, it, like, really disturbed me because just that type of conflict uh, where, you know, someone sort of takes advantage of, like, good nature or whatever and just, like, uses and abuses that uh, and just will not go away, that, like, is, is probably, like, the scariest thing to me. And funny games, like, from the onset, like, whenever that started to happen, I was, like, seen Um, and then the film like plays with that like really like smartly uh, as it goes on uh, to the point where it's like just it just feels unfair um, and I think that's really nice
1: yeah I I love like all those like weird meta moments in that movie Um, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people accuse it of being didactic which I can see to a certain extent but I do think that it's um, an interesting commentary on um, the audience's uh, like our uh, like how we consume like violent media um mm-hmm. and how like we distance ourselves from it um and i like how like this this movie tries to like bridge that gap
2: yeah i i saw reactions like that too after i watched it and it kind of like i kind of had to like take a moment to like reconsider like okay does it feel like that or not and i came to the conclusion that like no it, it really doesn't feel like it's preaching or anything like the most that it like st- is is like in a quick like few lines of dialogue towards the very end um so i feel like it's more just like a, a cool exercise in like how to make a thriller um and like a unique one in that and i that's like what i mostly appreciate it for um and i know michael haneke has like his own thoughts on like violence in cinema and stuff but i don't think it came across as much as people kind of say it does i don't think it's like you know super um over like overly critical of its audience for that i think it uh provides a entertaining enough experience and doesn't come down on them hard enough
1: hmm yeah um yeah speaking of michael henneke's views on, on violence in cinema there was this really good article i read about uh, by him um about violence that I, I can't i can't i can't find it right now but i would recommend that um
2: yeah is it his like essay that he wrote for his book i think so yeah i tried looking for that uh while i was researching for funny games but i couldn't find like the full thing i just found like the first page
1: oh okay i, I might have it somewhere because we actually read it for one of my film classes i'll I'll give you a link if i can't find Ooh. it
2: please do mm-hmm. yeah um so yeah that's what i've uh, been watching recently and kind of been like taking stuff from uh, i listening i've just been like doing radiohead and <laughs> other stuff that i like enjoy i um, trying to like uh make like playlists of like my favorite songs by like different artists like one each that like kind of show off like my taste i guess and also just like give me a place to listen to a lot of the shit that i like uh in a like a varied way hmm. um and then yeah it's really fun um and a little exhausting because i try to get to 100 for each and that's <laughs> finding 100 different artists like it's really tiring yeah um and then uh for Games recently, but I uh, have been using my brother's Switch, and I recently just completed Super Mario Odyssey for the first time, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm not like a huge Mario fan. Uh, I didn't play the games as a kid. The only one that I played was uh, Double Dash Mario Kart. Hmm. um Yeah, my parents just like I don't think my dad had any attachment to it, so he never like made me play any of them. So I don't have an attachment to Mario. So I don't appreciate odyssey as much as like other people do uh like i really just played it because like donkey um sings its you know praises from the mountaintops <laughs> and stuff uh so like it wasn't a 10 out of 10 for me but it was still like a lot of fun i really enjoy collect thons and stuff um so yeah that was a surprisingly good time despite me not like it, it wasn't like for a personal reason i just i was like okay let's check this out because everyone seems to like it and Really hey, it's it. it's
0: really fun to throw that hat around and be different things. So I'm I know.
2: How does that? How is that like not a mechanic? And like the rest of them, I feel like they can't <laughs> make another game without it. It was like so yeah. integral and fun. Well,
0: they like to do. They like to do that. I think like uh, Super Mario Sunshine had like the the water backpack. Yeah, and you know, I think they have just like different mechanics in 3D Mario games that you just kind of experiment with for one game and then toss aside. So. I'd be curious to see if they keep the hat thing. Mm -hmm.
2: And it seems like from what I've heard about the rest of the 3d Mario games, like they're all like really good. So yeah, I don't know when I get the chance to play it because they're all on like older consoles, but yeah. (laughs) Right. All right, what have, what have, uh, unless you're not done, Ryan. Um, no, I think that's pretty much all I have. Oh, uh, just real quick. Uh, what I'm working on. I, again, like I said, I have a YouTube channel. Uh, I didn't, it's just my name. Um, Ryan Higginbotham, that is R-Y-A-N-H-I-G-G-I-N-B-O-T-H-A-M. I know it's super long, uh, and it's really <laughs> annoying. It annoys me, too. It's not like I can, like, change it right
1: now. <laughs> my you name, can. That is.
2: Uh, I don't have, like, a better na- a- idea than just my name, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I can do. But, yeah, I I uh, do this uh, video series where I, like, read um, letterbox reviews and, like, respond to them and give my thoughts on them uh that's sort of like a new idea i've just had so i i'm kind of just waiting for more to see more like uh recent movies uh like 2020 stuff to do more of them and then i think i'm going to start doing uh like regular movie reviews for new movies that come out because i don't think that uh format would necessarily work for um things that have just come out uh so yeah that's kind of my goal with that Uh, nice yeah i think it's super fun okay now i'm done
0: (laughs) all right well, Daron, what have you
1: been uh, watching, reading, listening to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I watched a lot of movies in January. Too many to go over all of them, but I'll give some of the highlights. Um, in general, I've been trying to watch more, um, like, classical Hollywood films. Um, so, like, those are those are American films made between, like... 1930 to 1960 uh, because that's kind of I I have a really big gap in my film history knowledge from that time period Um, since I I, like I'm generally more interested in like European art house films from like the 60s and 70s and definitely American films from the 70s but um, I'll give I'll give um, a shout out to some of the films I really liked that I watched last month Um, I finally got around to watching Decalogue which is um, Gustav Kosowski's magnum opus it's this um 10 episode miniseries that centers around um this single like apartment complex near the end of the communist period in um poland and um each episode deals with a different um commandment from the 10 commandments um said they're all kind of like modern interpretations of the commandments like applying like modern morality to them um, it's very interesting. Like Klosowski is um certainly one of the great like spiritual art house filmmakers, um, out there. Um and that was that was quite experienced to bench it all in one day. It's very transcendental. Mm-hmm. Um I also watched The Fog of War, which is a um doc excuse me, documentary by Errol Morris about um Bishop McNamara, the uh defense secretary for um the Kennedy administration and LBJ and such. That was very interesting. Um, Beau Travile uh, by Claire Denise. Um, this is a movie that I keep like coming back to keep thinking about. Um, it's about this this colony um, of the French Foreign Legion in Djibouti, um, and this kind of like uh, these like homoerotic undertones in the um, in the military there. Um, it, it's it's really like a like a surreal kind of magical film it, like i i haven't like seen any movie like it and and that it um and that kind of like feeling it captures so i really i really appreciate that one um i also binged um a bunch of maya darren's short films I, i've watched like most of her filmography by now she's a um uh, credited as being like one of the first um like american experimental filmmakers or if not the first, like certainly one of the most influential ones of the sound period. Um, She was kind of like from that same school as, so she's certainly like inspired like Jonas Mikas and Stan Brakhage, like in all the greats. Um, She's been, yeah, like credited as like American. I think, I think like, I think Brakhage said that without Maya Darren there would be like no American experimental scene. Um, Very interesting, very weird stuff. I loved it. Um, funeral parade of roses very good japanese new wave film about the um the uh, lgbt scene in um japan during like the late 60s it's this really weird um combination of fictional um narrative and um documentary so there there is like a narrative in the film that's you know scripted and everything like that but every so often there is like documentary footage of the actors talking about their characters that they play. So there's like this weird like third uh, fourth wall break there. Uh, I really like that. Um, Interesting. Watched a few uh, classic American films. Um, Vertigo. Well, British director, American film. Vertigo. What is there to say about Vertigo? It hasn't been said. All about Eve. <laughs> um, very good kind of um Sense of Boulevard, Malhan Drive esque film of the um like the toxicity of um an actor's life and how like the system kind of like consumes them. Um that's great. Um In a Lonely Place, which is definitely my favorite Nicholas Ray film. Um highly recommend that one. Uh that was, that was really good. Out of the past jacques tourner it's a um noir film another great robert beecham performance like after seeing that of the hunter i've been kind of like obsessed obsessed with robert beecham trying to like hunt him down and everything that he's in um and more recently i'm, I'm almost done i promise more recently <laughs> <laughs> i watched um nick luna and i watched satan tango which is considered to be bellatar's magnum opus running at a, at a whopping seven and a half hours which was amazing I loved it. Um, not Beltar's best film, by any means, but very, very good. And Nick and I also watched um, the Mentorian in Canada for um, one of our film classes, which I, which I also really liked. I thought it was very topical. Um, yeah. And yeah, cool. that's that's what I've been watching, listening to. You said it was
2: the original one, right? Yeah,
1: I haven't or... seen the remake. Okay. I don't really care to. Um, <laughs> what I've been listening to, I haven't been listening to too much, really, to be honest. I, I got a little bit into MF Doom like a few weeks ago, because um, like, he died recently, and Murphy's been like recommending to that. Um, I really like the album Mmm Food by him. It's fantastic. Nice. In terms of what I've been reading, I finished 1984 a couple of weeks ago, um, but I haven't done anything else since then. I wanted to, to read it, because you know all these conservatives on Twitter are saying that this is literally 1984, because it got censored for for saying a racial slur online, and I wanted to see uh-huh. if they were right, and they weren't. Oh, uh, in terms of games, <laughs> um, I'm actually taking a video game narrative class, which I'm very excited for. Um, really? Yeah. Uh, however, I haven't played too much for that yet. We're going to be playing, I think, like, a couple like Assassin's Creed games, and we're going to be playing Among Us, which with with class actually going to be fun.
2: Hold on, wait, wait, wait. Why are you playing Assassin's Creed for a narrative class? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I have played all of them, and that's not a good... <laughs> i mean, maybe for like the dual narrative thing. Have you but... played um uh the ones I'm
1: playing are they're like the weird standalone DLC games that I'm playing like, uh
2: Freedom's Cry. That's, that's oh the one I'm okay, hating, I think yeah. That no okay that's cool because uh. The, the, like, DLC stuff for those games are, like, actually, like, really kind of uh, cool uh, compared to, like, the main games. But, yeah, like, Freedom Cry. Are you playing the uh, the one where George Washington is, like, King of America?
1: No, I don't think so.
2: Ah. Uh-huh. Um,
1: well, I don't know if that is that one. I'm, I'm playing the one, uh, I forget the other one's name, but, like, it's uh, Assassin's Creed 4 um, standalone DLC where, like, you're part of, like, the Haitian Uprising.
2: That is Freedom of Cry.
1: Oh, okay. But I don't know the other one. Where I'm playing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm excited for that. Nick, what have you been watching? What have you been listening to? I, I've been. I've what been have watching you been playing?
0: For, for months, dude. I haven't. I haven't watched anything. Um, but I can actually name all of the things that I have watched since my last uh, listing on. November thirteenth. But I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna point out the highlights like everybody else has. I should point out in that time I've watched Twin Peaks Firewalk with me three times. Jesus Christ. Because I don't know, man, I just I fell in love with that movie. I just I absolutely love it. Um What other good things have I watched in the meantime? Um I watched Soul, which I, I really enjoyed. Uh, I think it's up there with Coco as, I think, some of Pixar's best work. Nice. Um,
2: By the way, I, I noticed a lot of similarities between Collateral and Soul <laughs> while I was watching it again. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I'll need to re-examine. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yeah, no, that's... um, I'll have to look out for those, those similarities, because that's a very bold statement. Um, I know. I, I also saw Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I really like that movie. Um mm-hmm. especially for, you know, twenty twenty things. Yeah. I've been kind of watching a lot of like comfort cinema where it's just nothing really new. Um but that was, you know, um one of the things that I really liked. Um yeah. Wild at the Heart. Cinematography
2: is really good in that. Yeah.
0: I um I was a big fan. Uh, yeah. I I really you know, Viola Davis kills it and so does Chadwick and I, I hope they both you know get their dues this award season mm-hmm. um, but yeah I also saw Wild at Heart which was you know super cool it's um, uh, David Lynch with Nicolas Cage so there's not really anything to hate there I saw The Player um, yeah which was I, I really liked that movie um, it's one of my I, favorites. I just I love Tim Robbins performance is like this like you can't really tell, like, if he is this big asshole or not because you're only seeing the story from his perspective. But you definitely get the hints that he is. And I think that's one of my favorite parts about it is, like, his scumminess is kind of, like, uh, I, I guess turned on its head, which I liked. Um, and then Satan Tango, obviously, I got to gotta mention again just because, you know, it's Satan Tango. It is Satan you know. Tango, an entire Friday gone.
2: <laughs> um, is it Satan no, Tango I, or is it San Tango? Satan Tango. It's damn Satan Tango. As you, like hey hey Ryan
1: Ryan guess what it translates to?
2: Satan dances.
1: Satan's Tango.
2: Oh, <laughs> even more close. literal.
1: Um,
0: but yeah, I mean, I I really enjoyed it. That was actually my first Belatar film, so. That was a place to start, um, but, I, you know, I, I think I am interested in seeing more after that. Um, hell of a trial yeah, by some... fire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was, um, it was an experience. Uh, in terms of what I've been playing, I have um, been one of those few unlucky souls that has been playing, um, I guess not few, there are many people, but... I have been playing Cyberpunk 2077, and for the most part, I've had an okay experience as compared to everyone else's horror stories that I've heard so far. So yeah. my my apologies go out to you, but uh, I've been having an okay time. Yeah, I had to refund it. What are you Damn. playing on? Uh, I'm playing on a pretty tip-top computer, so that's that's probably the reason why it's been
2: going pretty well. <laughs> I, I, I have a PS4, so ah
0: yeah yeah. sorry it wasn't
2: it was like kind of playable but it was like there was a lot of stuff that i just couldn't like i i don't think i could deal with that for 100 hours you know yeah yeah i'm gonna get it again once they fix it hopefully (laughs) (laughs)
0: um yeah i don't think i've been playing anything else in terms of listening to uh, uh the only thing i've been listening to is woke up this morning by alabama three
1: woke up this morning because i have been watching the Sopranos,
0: and that song has been in my head for so
2: long and that's on one of my favorites lists i really (laughs) love that song so much i don't even i don't watch sopranos i just found that
1: uh... (laughs) i guess i guess we forgot to mention nick and i have been going through the sopranos also
2: yeah that's that's kind
0: of been the big TV thing I've been watching because it's it's that and Twin Peaks showing Twin Peaks to everyone else that I know, <laughs> but um, yeah, that just goes to show how good that song is though, is the fact that you just like it anyway, because yeah. I thought it was definitely just like I've been listening to this on The Sopranos, but dude, it's just it's a it's a great song. Mm-hmm. I love so the good. build up to it so much. Yeah. Um. But I think that's it for me, at least all of that I want to mention. Oh, I finished The End Call. I guess I should say that. I've finally um, uh, finished reading The Incall, Call, which was super fun. Comic by Jodorowsky, if you uh, want to pick it up. Very good. Cool. But Watch now. everything by Jodorowsky.
1: Read everything by Jodorowsky. Join Jodorowsky's cults like Nick and I have.
2: Yes! <laughs> You're telling me, okay? <laughs> We're I don't telling know, everyone. I, I, oh okay i gotta tell you i don't know who that is
0: <laughs> that's all right
2: we can, i probably we know can, the films but you'll find out we he can might come to you, you in camp. your sleep oh god
1: <laughs> well if that's everything boys let's let's wrap this up ryan us. thank you for joining us thank you for the excellent film recommendation
2: it was a pleasure i loved it
1: thank you for being here my man thank you thank you i hope you'll you'll mm-hmm. join us again soon And join us next time for whatever film we will watch then. I don't know what it will be. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.
2: Goodbye.